When you're an American Express Platinum Card member, don't be surprised if you say things like, Chef, what course are we on? I've, I've lost count. Or, Shoot that, shoot that! And even, Checkout's not until 4, so... Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants, elevated experiences at live events, and 4 p.m. late checkout at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Terms apply. You're getting the most out of being at a game with American Express. The card member entrance, the lounge, and out tip-off. See how to elevate your live sports experience at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply. Welcome to this week's play-by-play of the Hangtime Podcast. Damaris Lewis, Sports Illustrated model, is joining us here on the Hangtime Podcast. You have great personality. You can hear it in your voice. Would you date an NBA player? I'm open to anything, but respect. Old school. February. Like, I listen to Sinatra in the morning. You need to accept that. (laughs) (laughs) So I hear you're single, then. (laughs) With your host. Seku Smith, Lang Whitaker, and Rick Fox. Our next guest should have been our first guest, Isaiah Thomas. How do you think you would play in today's NBA with the rules the way they are? Be honest. Uh, average. <laughs> we will win a lot. <laughs> and it's, it's our main man, Roderick Turner from the Los Angeles Times. Hey, too, can I say this first? <laughs> you know you when can. When I was covering the Lakers, when Rick Fox played, I had hair. They wore me out. Now it's time for the tip-off. Guarding clock at four. James steps into a jumper and rattles it in. LeBron James gives Miami a two-point lead with ten and a half to go. Well, Miami Heat doing it again, guys. They it's a Miami Heat world, boys. We just live in it. Seku Smith from the Hangtime blog at NBA.com here on the Hangtime podcast. Lang Whitaker in New York. Yo, Rick Fox on the West Coast. Ricky, what's happening, sir? La la. They should have ended the game right after after that dunk. <laughs> they pretty much ended it. <laughs> after Everybody the Jason Terry uh, live burial, you mean? <laughs> <laughs> uh, we know the, how happy one person is about that. Oh, I know. The, the Heat guys, we could spend all day talking about them, and we will. Surely we'll get to them later, but uh, no doubt about it. The Miami Heat playing their tails off. 23-game win streak. Trying to go for 24 in Cleveland of all places. Um, I'd imagine there's some people on the west side, east side, all over the you know northeast Ohio who would love to see this streak end at the hand of the Cavaliers. Who, at last check, they got what seven D leaguers that are going to be playing in that game. That's that's um, what usually happens. That's how they, <laughs> that's how they win. <laughs> Sleight of hand. Exactly. Um, we know, you know what? I'm a little upset. Last week we didn't warm it up. We didn't get our tournament brackets ready. Um, Ooh, we didn't did. pick. We didn't pick a final four. Sure I mean, did. we did none of that. I uh, had to turn one in for uh, for Slam today to run on Slam Online, and I picked uh, my final game. I picked Georgia and Alabama in the finals. Of what tournament would that be? Yeah, well, yeah what is was this? that? The Fantasyland tournament? I thought this is the SEC championship <laughs> game. <laughs> I don't watch college basketball. <laughs> That makes two of us. Although on, I, watch a little, I watch a little Carolina. I was going to say, come on, Rick. You know you watch a little college hoops. Yeah. You, uh, but it, but that, if, that, if all the seed, if all the seed, number one seeds were to go through Louisville, Kansas, Gonzaga, and Indiana, who would who would who would you think wins it? All I know, all I know is that Gonzaga is not going through <laughs> because every year, and you know, this is just from my casual following of college basketball every year people talk gonzaga man these guys are going to be great they you know and every year they've never made the final four have they not that i know why are you why are you why are you down on gonzaga i'm just saying they they never make it so i know you so i mean are you holding adam morrison against them or something what what they do to you (laughs) (laughs) seeing seeing as my only connection is is uh to in the final four well i got a number of connections uh, Louisville, Rick Pitino renounced me when he was in Boston. So I won't be, so I won't be rooting for him. Um, Dean Smith played for Fog Allen, came out of Kansas, um, but they beat us in the Final Four. So I won't be rooting for them. I like how you do this six degrees of separation from Rick Fox. Right. So you're gonna like, yeah. you're gonna eliminate whoever. But Gonzaga, I have no relationship to. You played whatsoever. against John Stockton. 
Yeah, John. St- yeah, the closest <laughs> connection. Um, Indiana. I went to high school in Indiana. I almost went to IU and played for the Hoosiers. Mm-hmm. I'll probably root for IU, I guess. Yeah. Bob, so Bob Knight recruited you. Yeah, he re- he actually testified on my behalf in high school during uh, my in- my when we tried to sue the Indiana High School Athletic Association to let me play my senior year. Right. We also one? put he also put the nail in the coffin because the judge <laughs> asked him. The judge asked him. <laughs> If Rick uh, doesn't play this year, uh, would you still give him a scholarship? He was like, hell yeah. <laughs> and that's the end. Rick Fox not playing a senior year. <laughs> nice. That's amazing. What, now, what high school was that, Rick? The, Warsaw. Warsaw, Korea. right? Yeah. Northern Indiana. Nice. Off of 30 between South Bend and Fort Wayne. Not, I mean, this is so off. The, the, uh, let's look at, look at Jay Wall in there. P- pumping his fist in here about any, any, <laughs> any mention of the state of Indiana, he gets amped up. Um, this is off the path, but let's just let's go here for a minute. High school, high school player. When you're a high school senior, you know, junior, Rick. What is your, what's your, view, you know, how do you see the NCAA tournament when you're in high school? I always wondered about that. About yeah, well, you know, recruits. Like, do you look at the tournament and that's yeah. where you develop which school you want to go to, or do you, or do you not pay attention to the tournament much? Well, no, no, and when 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 you're in high school, you're, it's all about the NCAA tournament. I right. was I was obsessed with it at that time, and especially in early, in, especially in Indiana, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, high school basketball is god there, and you know I played when there was still the the uh, the all the, class the, deal, yeah, all class. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I went to the I went to the NCAA tournament in New Orleans uh, when Syracuse and Indiana played, mm. and uh, got a glimpse of got a glimpse of that. And uh, that was Sherman Douglas, Ronnie Sykley, uh, IU. Yeah. Um, Keith Smart. Uh, but, um, which yeah. College, which college paid for your trip there? <laughs> <laughs> no college. I went. I can't remember how I got there. <laughs> yeah, man, yeah. I don't recall. <laughs> That's going to be another time Bob Knight has to testify. <laughs> it was real legal. Uh, but, yeah, no, college basketball was king. I remember Danny Manning in 80, you know, in Kansas run that right. year. I can recall all of those trips and and but you know for me picking a school it wasn't so much about it was a little bit about who's having success in the NCAA tournament at that time Jordan mm-hmm. Jordan and the, and the Tar Heels back in the early eighties eighty two right. eighty three they were pretty good eighty four they were ranked number one so so but I counted up how many pros were in the league from any particular school mm-hmm. Carolina had like fourteen at that time so I was like okay if I could play there I could play in the pros yeah. It was more about who was having success for me, uh, transferring from college to the pros. Mm-hmm. I, you know, what's funny is I, I played high school basketball in, in Georgia, and uh, the team I played on, we the starters, all five starters got Division One scholarships. We were, we were really good, and one of the guys was a Parade All-American. And so a lot of the coaches would come, and I remember one day at practice, I turned and looked, and Jim Calhoun, Bobby Crimmins, and Wade Houston were standing in the corner of the gym just watching us play pickup you know, all obviously wanted to, to recruit this guy, but, uh, you can say all, his name and we're not going to get in Martise trouble. Moore. You say Martise Moore's name. It was Moore. But all, you know, <laughs> but all really people cared about was, was college football, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you know what? You brought up Bobby Kremens. Yeah. Is that, well, Bobby Kremens recruited me the hardest out of anyone. Really? Yep. He moved to Warsaw, Indiana for a week <laughs> at one point. And I, I and, and literally I would be playing, I, did, I ran track and field. Mm-hmm. He would be at my track and field events, and then he would play. He played tennis with my um, the, the son of the family I lived with. Like he was there. He was just always there. And I was like, this guy is like serious about me playing for him. You know what? He one day we were like, I guess it was before practice started. It was during high school football, but they would let us in the gym to like have unofficial pickup games. And one day we were in there, and uh, and Dennis Scott walks in, and this is when Dennis was playing at Georgia Tech. Oh, wow. And I think Kremens had found out, you know, what time we practiced or, or did stuff or whatever, and he sent Dennis over. And so Dennis played pickup with us one day, and all he did was shoot three-pointers from out of bounds up and down the sidelines <laughs> and, uh, and made every shot he took the whole time. <laughs> uh, yeah. But, yeah, it was crazy back then. I love uh, I love that uh, part of the deal where guys, you know, choose a school and uh, all these the stories. They used, they used to have this uh, – Basketball Times, I think it was, used to do this deal after signing day where they would they would do little vignettes with all these top players and ask them like, why'd you choose this school? Why'd you choose that school? 
Rick, you could have gone, I'm sure, to a lot of different places, obviously, if you went to Carolina. Was it just the pros that put Carolina over the top? I mean, or were you thinking, you know, the, there was more to it than, I mean, the school, the tradition, the the atmosphere. I mean, where where all did you go on visits to? Well, you know, I didn't grow, I, I didn't grow so, up. No, yeah, in, you didn't grow up in the, in the States. Yeah. So, you know, my first recollection of uh, being turned on to college basketball was because of the noise that the UNC was doing with James Worthy. He was my favorite player. Okay. Sam Perkins. Michael Jordan in the early 80s. So they were in the mm-hmm. news all the time, and they carried a huge tradition professionally. So I thought, you know, this coach must really, really be doing an amazing job. Then I got the history of uh, Dean Smith and uh, learned, uh, learned, learned a little more about him and realized that I just admired the man and wanted to play for him. And mm-hmm. he quite honestly sold me when he came on a house visit to Indiana, as about nine other guys did. I had I had the cream of the crop. I was blessed, man. Krzyzewski yeah. came, Eddie Sutton, Digger Phelps, uh, Bobby Knight, Gene Cady, mm-hmm. uh, Dean Smith. But Dean came, and he was talking to my family. He said, uh, you know, we really – my commitment to you as your parents is that you would get a degree when you come to this school. He goes – but beyond that, he goes, we would – I'd love to have you be a Tario, but bottom line is we're going to win with you or we're going to win without you. That <laughs> way. Oh boy, <laughs> that's, a, yeah, that's exactly. brutal honesty right there. That's brutal honesty. I was like, I think I want to win with that man. But uh, I, my final four was uh, Bobby Knight in IU, Gene Cady at Purdue, Bobby Kremins at uh, Georgia Tech because I felt really, really bad. The man spent half his life <laughs> recruiting me. When he um, wasn't at Lang's High School, he was in Warsaw, Indiana. <laughs> I'm telling you, and and, and then uh, in Dean Smith. Did, was it hard to tell those guys no? When you when you know when you picked UNC, did you have to tell those guys no? Let me tell you, I, I called up Bobby Knight. I never forget this, <laughs> and he literally went. He I called him. He goes, "Yeah, I was just going to call you today too, and and let you know that I thought you you really that you should go to North Carolina because I I really don't think you're you're a Hoosier." <laughs> Are you serious? Yeah. Oh yeah, he was pissed, but he you know he played it off like yeah, I don't care. I was going to call you and tell you that you should go there anyway. Uh, Gene Cady. Gene Cady was like, what? Shit, shit. Put, put, put your coach on the phone. <laughs> we already sent the check. What are you talking about? You're not yeah, coming he for He responded like he <laughs> was like a lock. Yeah. And he didn't, and I didn't, and, and, and Kremens couldn't have been more cool about it, man. He, yeah. he, he was as cool as could be in terms of like, wow, you know, you obviously know we're disappointed, but really, really, really rooting for you as a, as a young man. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, and then I call uh, Carolina, and they're like, ah. Coach was like, "Well, this is great news." <laughs> did you play with uh, Did you play with Kevin Salvadori? I did one year. Did you, do you, do you, was, were you there when James Forrest tomahawk dunked on him in the ACC tournament? <laughs> I was not, but I laughed from Boston. <laughs> <laughs> I still, my friends and I still look for that on YouTube and can't find it. It's one of my favorite college dunks of all time. It's one of Kevin Salvadori's only college highlights. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, to bring it back around to LeBron dunking on Jason Terry, I thought that was, <laughs> yeah. No, I just I'm always curious about that though, Rick. Um, just you know what that journey is for guys. I had, I had a first cousin who played at Purdue um, with Glenn Robinson, and uh, okay. I got a chance to see his process, like, from the inside. He was younger than me, so, like, when the college attention heated up for him, it really yeah. got crazy. So he was, like, hiding out at our house all the time, and I got a chance to meet a lot of those coaches. Um, that's I just can't imagine, because you don't know where your career is going eventually, but at that time, you're as big a deal as a high school star as, you know, as you might ever be. You know, you may not get that chance. If you don't make the NBA, you may not become a bigger deal than you are your senior year of high school when you're getting yeah. recruited. Yeah, that's true. Um, and and listen, our guest here on the Hangtime Podcast today knows all about this being, you know, being the hottest name in the game, you know, at that stage of your career and beyond. Isaiah Thomas is back with us here on the Hangtime Podcast. Isaiah, how you doing, man? I am doing great. How you guys doing? We're good, man. Listen, by the way, I heard y'all giving me the business last night on NBA TV about my uh, – <laughs> I hope so. My sweater vest and that picture they keep running up there. I, listen, I'm it, getting I'm it, getting it, a new picture. It, it looked like your eighth grade Easter shot. <laughs> 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 you look like you was about like you look like you was about like fourteen years old. You know, had just 
had just finished the summer, was getting ready to go into your freshman year in high school. They did me so. They do me so wrong. I don't, I don't so think wrong. I've ever seen you happier. <laughs> they do me so wrong around here, Isaiah. I, I'm telling you, it's, it's brutal around here. I don't know who you got to pay to get a decent picture of yourself throwing up on TV, man. But uh, but no, uh, we were we were talking about just you know it obviously NCAA tournament time and it, you know it's such a a magical time for the kids who get a chance to be a part of that process. You obviously got a chance to experience it at the very highest level, you know, to, to trim some nets. And what is it like for you thinking back to that time, the tournament, you know, your, your college days, even before you get to college when you're a high school star and you're trying to win a state championship? Is it Does it ever get any better than that? Uh, you know, college is the, is the best time, and I think March is the best time for – the students and athletes because all the students are looking forward to spring break in March <laughs> and you know all the all the athletes in terms of basketball players are looking forward to March Madness in yeah. terms of the tournament and uh, once you start playing the excitement that that overtakes you as you go from round to round and ultimately you know get to the finals I mean it it, it just there's no other feeling better than it uh, particularly if you're playing in the championship game mm-hmm. of uh, the NC2A finals. Uh, the only thing I can uh, equate to it would be the seventh game of, um, you know, an NBA finals. But, right. you know, for that for that one game, that um, that one evening, uh, there's no better place uh, to be as a, as a basketball player. Uh, Isaiah, we were before you came on. We were talking, and Rick was telling us about how how uh, Bobby Knight recruited him hard <laughs> coming out of high school. Uh, how did how did you end up at, at Indiana, and and what was that process like for you? Well, you know, I was probably like Rick and a lot of other kids who um, didn't want to go to Indiana uh, <laughs> and, and didn't and didn't think Coach Knight was the coach for me until um, you know he actually came to my house and. Uh, he sat down uh, with my mom and he started talking to my mom and totally ignored me and, uh, you know, told my mom that Indiana would be the best place for me and he guaranteed that I would uh, get a good education uh, and I would come out as a gentleman, but he didn't quite know if I would start or be able to play for him. <laughs> and my mom, um, you know, looked at me and looked at him and said, well, I think this is the place that my son should go. And I looked at my mom as if to say, you know, I didn't voice it, but, you know, I looked at it with, you know, as if to say, you know, Mom, are you crazy? Because I wouldn't let those words come out of my mouth. (laughs) You know, so, you know, kids have their their press conference nowadays and they say, you know, hey, I've decided to go to, you know, X university. My mom had the press conference and said, my son has decided that he is going to Indiana University to play for Bob Knight. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> so, no, but I, I enjoyed the experience. Um, you know, you don't appreciate, you know, great coaches until you're away from them. You mm-hmm. don't appreciate uh, the good parenting you've had until you're out, you know, away from them. You know, and when um, – Leaving Indiana and looking back on experiences that I had in college, had I not gone to Indiana University, I can, you know, I can definitely say I never would have turned out to be the type of player that I turned out to be because um, playing for Coach Knight, um, you know, he just, he gave me a different way of thinking. He gave me a different way of seeing the game and approaching the game. Uh, His concept of basketball is, is very unique and, and totally different than, you know, most other coaches uh, out there who are, who are coaching. I would say, you know, he and Coach K right now in college basketball, um, you know, they they were they were into positionless basketball before positions became fashionable. Mm-hmm. Uh, Coach and I never played with a point guard or shooting guard or, or anything like that. He wasn't into numbering the players. He just put the five best guys on the floor who can work together as a unit, mm-hmm. as you see people doing now. Yeah. Well, Isaiah, do you, in a time when the, the tournament has become this just Goliath, um, you know, in 25, 30, 40 years ago, it was still kind of trying to muscle its way into the public consciousness in terms of all the different ways you can get your hands on it now. Do you feel like, and, I, and I've heard people voicing this, that 
college basketball is, is out of control and that the players just do what they want and, you know, there's no commitment with the one-and-done rule, would you like to see players stick around in the college game longer than that one season, That you know, that six or seven months they actually spend on a campus? Would you like to see them around maybe two, three years? You know, that, that, that's, that's a difficult question because college has the luxury of um, playing on both sides of the fence. Mm-hmm. Uh, it has the luxury of, um, you know, uh, speaking uh, as educators, and then it also has the luxury of running itself as strictly as a business. Yeah. So, um, you know, when you say, do you want the kids to stay, you know, another uh, extra year or two years or three years, and, you know, we make the argument that, it would be good for the kids, but on the other side, uh, we also neglect to make the argument that it's good business for the school. So uh, the schools and uh, the NC2A find itself definitely conflicted, and the ones who are really, uh, you know, caught in the middle is the student-athlete. Yeah. Hey, Isaiah, President Obama filled out his March Madness <laughs> bracket, and uh, I don't know if you noticed, but he picked the Hoosiers to take it all. Uh, so based on, you know, his selection, I know you can't, you have to be following the Hoosiers to some degree with the success they've had this year. Do you, are you as confident? I'm sure, sure you have an opinion about whether or not they can go the whole way. Yeah, I, I really think they have, uh, just as good a chance as anyone, uh, because they're, they're battle tested, you know, playing in the big 10 this year, uh, everyone, uh, you know, had, was, was great at home, uh, and it was tough to win you know, out on the road, and Indiana was able to go, you know, to Michigan at the end of the season and win a game out on the road after losing a tough game at home to Ohio State on senior night. Um, and you know, Rick, from playing in the ACC, when, when the ACC is tough, having to go out on the road and win a basketball game definitely prepares you more for the tournament than anything else you can uh, imagine. And I think yeah. Indiana definitely is, is battle-tested in terms of um, – you know, winning out on the road and winning in different buildings. So I like their chances. Uh, you know, they play well together. Uh, very rarely do they get out of sync in terms of uh, their offensive style. Um, so I, I, I like what they do. Uh, they're a good foul shooting team. They don't make a lot of mistakes. And uh, they're going to be tough to beat during tournament time. But, you know, Rick, you can always run into that one hot player who yeah. who has it going for that one week and, you know, it. In NC2A, you can run into that Cinderella team that hits 10 threes, and there's nothing you can do about it. Yeah. Or in my case, you can have one off game. And, uh, you know, that that's the Hoosiers have lost primarily when Zeller has been not at his best. So that's the difficult part about the, the – the, you know, it's one and done. You know, it's not a series of basketball. Isaiah, I'm, I'm curious. I want to ask you about <clears throat> when you're the catalyst of a team in college – and what kind of individual power you have compared to being that player at the pro level? And is it the same kind of power in terms of how you affect the game? Um, you know, because so, so often we hear people say that, well, in college, if you have a great, you know, if you got great guard play, you got a chance to go deep in the tournament. And, you know, I don't know that you could play much better as a guard than you did, obviously, when in the tournament when, when uh, the Hoosiers won it all. But do you feel like it's the same sort of power, even though it's not a one-and-done situation in the NBA the way it is in college, that that one player can 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 completely change a series or, or impact series? Is it the same kind of power at both levels, do you think? Uh, at the NBA level, it's definitely you have more power um, in terms of controlling the game and affecting the game as an individual because of, because of the rules. Uh, mm-hmm. The NBA mainly is strictly a man-to-man league. Uh, you'll face some double-teaming and, and some trapping, every, um, you know, and teams have different schemes. But in college, um, you know, the, the defense that they play in terms of being able to zone uh, most of the game, uh, you don't have as many uh, weapons around you as you would have uh, in the NBA uh, game in terms of uh, a roster with, you know, stock with, you know, NBA pros. So uh, you do have some weaknesses uh, on your team uh, in a college environment compared to a, an NBA environment. But, um, you know, you, you, you can affect the game, particularly if the team is playing man-to-man, mm-hmm. um, because most of the time if you're, 
if you're that superior of a guard or that superior of a player um, and you're going to be a lottery pick, uh, that, that player can affect the game. Uh, however, if, if teams are zoning and they're, they're trapping and uh, doing a lot of other things that they're allowed to do in college, they can definitely take uh, that one player out of the game. Isaiah, I don't, I don't watch a lot of college basketball during during the NBA season, but uh, I usually watch the NCAA tournament, and as an NBA fan, I, I kind of tend to watch it as a way of, of seeing these guys who are you'll see at the next level in the next year or two. Um, you've kind of got this reputation for being able to find guys that other teams may have overlooked or coming into the draft. Or uh, who, who are some of the guys that you're going to keep an eye on during this year's NCAA tournament that uh, you think could have an impact in the NBA? Uh, I won't call out names uh, because of the position that, that I'm in, and, and I don't want to affect anybody's team going into the tournament and right. uh, that one actually do, do something that, you know, or play right. out of, you know, uh, play a way that he's not accustomed to playing. However, I I do think that the mid-majors, uh, there are some jewels, and I mean real jewels at, mm. at the mid-major level in terms of guys who will come into the NBA and will have an effect uh, on the NBA level. Um, and, you know, just because uh, you don't, you don't get the hype uh, just because you don't get the, the light uh, that some of the the major uh, schools get. Uh, the, the mid-majors, the basketball that's being played at that level by some of the individuals, their their talent and skills will definitely transfer over into the NBA. Uh, and Damian Lillard is a, is a prime example of, right. of you know, the type of guards that we're talking about that you do see at the mid-level, uh, at the mid-major level right now. How, how about this? Instead of giving us a player, what sort of skills do you look for that, that translate well to the NBA? Um, well, definitely you got to have ball handling skills right now. I, I think with the way the NBA game is being played, um, you know, similar to the European game, um, uh, every position has to be uh, looked at as a player who has point guard skills. Uh, so if, if you were to look at a 6'11 player right now, he doesn't have to shoot the ball like Kevin Durant, but he's got to be able to handle the ball like Kevin Durant. And when you look at, you know, Durant and LeBron James, the things that have separated them from every other player in the league right now is not their shooting, not their running, not their jumping, but their ability to put the ball on the floor and they have all the dribble moves. So um, there are a lot of big guys right now that are developing in college, uh, and there are a lot of kids that are developing that have amazing dribbling skills. And if you can dribble the basketball uh, and you can handle the basketball, then you can maneuver and get to any place out on the floor that you need to get to. So the first thing is ball handling. And the Mm -hmm. second thing is decision-making. You know, is that person capable of making the correct decision when he gets into the position of, um, you know, shooting, passing, uh, or having to find the right person? So, um, you know, when you look at decision-making, that's, you know, that's one of those things where you really have to be, um, you have to check the box uh, because uh, can a player find the right person to pass the basketball to at the right time? Right. Uh, does he make the correct read? Uh, does he make a bounce pass when he should have made a chest pass? Um, does he does he shot fake when he had the shot? Uh, you know, hmm. those, those type of things that come into play and those are little small things that really affect the game and, you know, we got Rick on the line right now, and I, and you know, Rick was probably one of the the, the best players, uh, you know, coming to the NBA, who understood um, how to use the shot fake when it was time to use the shot fake, and you know, didn't didn't pass up too many open looks. I mean, he wasn't a a high jumper on his jump shot, but he always was able to find space. Uh, to get it up uh, from his shot pocket. And, you know, he had a, a shot pocket that also created uh, a natural pump take into his shot. Mm-hmm. So uh, those, those things are, are, are the difference between making a shot, missing a shot, getting to the foul line, making two free throws, or missing a shot, and the other team's going back for a fast break. Well, Isaiah, the only difference is, is I didn't have the, the ball handling ability of an Isaiah <laughs> Thomas. 
That would have made the difference in my game. <laughs> but, but, Rick, as, as you just said, and that's, that's what all these kids now have. I mean, every player that we see in college right now, most of them have that type of ball handling skill. And, it, and like you just said, if you would have had uh, the, the, the point guard dribbling skills put on top of your knowledge in your shot, I mean, you're talking about a totally different player now. Yeah, yeah. Do you think Rick would have had those skills if he had gone to Indiana instead of North Carolina? <laughs> uh, no, actually, Rick, Rick, Rick probably would have led the Big Ten in scoring. He would have been Coach Knight's favorite player, and the only person that we could have passed to would be Rick. I mean, like, you know, that, that Coach Knight, you know, you, you look at his teams. Uh, when I played, the only person who really got the shot, who really got the shoot was Mike Woodson. You know, everything I got was on the fast break. Right. Uh, and then we had to get Whitman open. And when I left, there was a guy by the name of Steve Alford, and I think Steve Alford shot for four years. I don't think anybody else shot the basketball but Steve Alford. <laughs> and Rick definitely would have been in that category. <laughs> Turning the page a little bit from uh, the college game to the pros, you, you played on some great teams in the NBA, um, but you never won 23 in a row. What? What must that be like, do you think, for the Heat and any team that puts together that kind of streak? And, I mean, it, to me, it has nothing to do with what comes next, but just the the grind of trying to win that many regular season games in a row has to be nutty to think about. It, it, it's, it's crazy, and it's, it's, um, it's a fantasy that the people who fantasize don't even have <laughs> you know i mean no i mean it's it's like what the what the heat you know what they're doing right now is you know it's it's beyond belief um considering the level of play that's going on in the nba and the caliber of talent that you have right now yeah. um you know when the when the lakers did it with, with chamberlain and west you can you could say okay i can see how that that happens you know because chamberlain was you know just head and shoulders bigger and stronger and, and, and probably better than everybody else. Mm-hmm. But you have a league right now where, um, you know, everybody's kind of the same size in terms of 6'7", six, 6'8", six, um, you know, 6'6", six, six to 6'9". Six, so everybody has the same kind of athleticism uh, and strength. So what, what they're doing right now, uh, you know, to me is, is awesome. And they're doing it as a team. They're not doing it as, as individuals. Um, mm-hmm. You know, this is probably the best display of team basketball, uh, you know, outside of San Antonio that we've seen in the league in in a long time uh, because, um, you know, the league uh, for a while, uh, even marketing-wise, had built itself as a, you know, star-driven league. Uh, And even the way the salary cap is uh, is worked, it's, it's... it's worked for, you know, two stars on a team. So, uh, you know, the, what, what Miami is doing is shattering all the myths. They're shattering all the perceptions of uh, individuality, yeah. and they're really bringing it back to a, a team sport where, you know, seven guys are touching the basketball, they're passing it, they're moving it, and the guy who's open takes the shot. Uh, they're making the correct basketball play. Uh, we, don't, we don't see hero shots. We don't see hero uh, basketball where LeBron's got to take the last shot, and if he doesn't take the last shot, then, oh, my God, uh, you know, something's wrong with LeBron because he didn't take the last shot. Right. You know, you see everyone now is, you know, okay with Battier taking that last shot, with yeah. Battier taking tough shots or, you know, um, Chalmers uh, hitting big baskets, and that's what team play is all about. So uh, I hope the message that is sending to the rest of the league in all of basketball is that, Let's bring team play and team sport back uh, because I think that's what makes the league stronger, better, and healthier. No no doubt about it. Isaiah Thomas, NBA TV's shining star, joining us here on the Hangtime Podcast. Isaiah, you mentioned Mike Woodson and playing alongside him at Indiana. Um, His Knicks are having a, a, a tough time now, injuries and some other things going on. Are they still a team that you think can challenge the Miami Heat come playoff time? Do you think they, you know, I guess they need to be as healthy as they can get because obviously they're not going to be fully healthy again this season. But do you think they're still a team that could be a factor in the East? 
I think it all depends on uh, their mental makeup right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's a team right now that has been decimated by injuries. Uh, it, 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 was, it was a team that was uh, very confident uh, and believed that they could beat anybody on any given night. Uh, now being injured and being, you know, uh, you know, shaken a little bit, yeah. uh, Will they ever gain that confidence back? Will they ever have that belief again uh, this season that they could beat Miami? And, you know, not a false bravado, but, you know, I I think we can all say a couple of months ago safely that they had a real belief uh, and bravado about them in terms of being able to compete and beat the Heat. Uh, You know, when your confidence is knocked out of you, uh, psychologically, can you regain that edge? Can you get back on the horse? and get up and say, yeah, I'm, I'm the baddest in the league, I'm the best in the league. And what Miami had going for them right now, yeah. uh, they feel like they're Mike Tyson walking into the <laughs> ring against Michael Spinks. Uh, <laughs> you know, so that, that type of swagger, that type of, you know, just understanding how I'm going to dismantle this opponent, how I'm going to take him apart, mm-hmm. what I'm going to do to destroy his confidence, to destroy his game plan, the Knicks had that, you know, a couple of months ago. Right. Can they regain all that back? And I think it's a mental adjustment more so than physical. Yeah. You know, you talk about getting back up on the horse, Isaiah, and confidence. Uh, what's your take on Derrick Rose and his uh, decision to, you know, return this year or wait till uh, next year? You know, I would have to side with uh, – the player and I would have to side with with Rose in terms of where he's at right now because I mean you know Rick only the player understands his body and understands uh, his uh, mental and physical limitations right now and um, just because you you have doctor's clearance to play if you're not mentally ready to step out on the floor in the NBA game and compete um, you know you you, you're just not ready. And and we have to remember that Derrick Rose, uh, when he steps back out on the floor, he's not stepping out on the floor as a as a point guard who averaged 10 points and had five assists and got, you know, a couple of two, two steals and then sat down. You know, he, he wasn't a, a 15, 20-minute player. You're talking about the MVP of the league right. having to step back out on the floor and be the MVP of the league. Yeah. As a six-two-six-three guard, now the type of confidence that uh, you need to to go out on the floor and be that again, because everyone you're competing against, you know, the average size in the league is six-seven-six-eight, so or six-six-six-eight. So, you know, when that when when that guy steps out on the floor to be able to dominate again, and that's where he's coming from. He's coming from a, a point in his mind where. He's got to dominate the opponent. He just can't go out on the floor and play against the opponent. And that's a totally different mental psyche. Yeah. Yeah. Isaiah Thomas, NBA TV's very own, joining us here on the Hang Time Podcast. Listen, we'll we'll keep up with you. You you make some room for us here. And I'm going to get a new picture so you won't clown me anymore. (laughs) I'm I'm working on my new photo, man. I'm just saying you look real happy, my brother. You know, you know. Well, well, no, well, no one ever look at you and say, "Hey, that something's wrong." With you. They'll look at you and say, "Hey, man, that that is a happy brother right there. That brother is happy." That, you know, the eating well, the bills are paid. You, know, you must have a nice yeah. car. You know, life is good. You should show that picture everywhere. <laughs> Man, you said I appreciate it, man. Isaiah <laughs> Thomas of NBA TV, join us, man. Have a good one, Isaiah. All right, thanks. All right, sir. Thank you. Yeah, I, I got to work on that photo thing. Greg Wagan, and our super producer can't seem to get the job done. We've got to get him run out of here since. Uh... Hey, if you want. Well, you know, know, the thing about it is, it, it looked like it was taken recently. No, it wasn't. It was taken like a couple years ago. Oh, okay. Um, okay. And that's the worst part because I'm looking great these days, you know, compared to that picture. Uh, yeah, no, you just it's you know, I've been working out. I'm on my Rick Fox vegan diet. I've been stopped wearing sweater vests. Been getting it in, you know, I've been wearing <laughs> suit jackets instead of sweater vests and then they go and throw me under the bus like that. That's right, I man. think Greg did it, guys. I think it's a little hating on the on the part no, of No, if it's anybody's hating it'd be Jarrell. 
<laughs> the Peyton Manning fan club decided to pay me back for all his nasty this things is, I've been is, saying about this him. This is what happens when you you know you you want it, you want your picture on TV, you want it to be your podcast, all that stuff. You know, this Lang this will not the, let it go. He will kind of not the blowback that comes with it. I guess haters all in my. I, I mean, Rick and I wouldn't really know, but it seems like hey, ain't, ain't no goal up in our chain. You know what I'm saying? No. Haters all in my. Uh, Instagram straight flexing. I love uh, I love Isaiah's uh, perspective though. He, I mean, he's one of those guys that can talk about so many different things, man. And that that transition again, Rick. I talked about it, earlier, and I'm and I'm gonna be thinking about that as I, I always think about it as I watch the tournament. Man, that transition from high school superstar to maybe or maybe not being a college star to you know mm-hmm. if if that's the end of the road for you or if you head overseas or whatever, you don't know it at that time. Like these, some of these college players. Man, they they go into the tournament with all this confidence, you know, just overflowing, yeah. thinking that the you know that things are going to be this way or the other. And the tournament is such a huge decider for some yeah. of these guys. You know, it makes or breaks legends. And you know, if you if you're a great college player who never really gets his chance to shine in the NBA, man, this is your this is your biggest stage sometimes. You know what? And also, and also, even some of the big, you know, NCAA stars at this point. If they're seniors or if they're, you know, at their career where it's this is their last run. Yeah. Yeah. I, look, I lost in my Final Four, you know, my senior year. And, look, it haunted me in nine years until I won a championship. Wow. It's hard to, to move beyond, you know, a, a, a tough out, like, you know, when you end your career in college and yeah. on a loss. And don't let it be in the Final Four. Or no. Right. Think of, like, Memphis. Like, Derrick Rose went on to be an MVP, right? But who was his who was his sidekick in that series going in? They were you know, Chris that Douglas, team, Roberts, Chris Douglas, think, yeah. Roberts. You know, two of those guys were on par in terms of, of their their status yeah. as potential NBA players. And right. look at the different direction they went in, just from the standpoint of that tough loss and the way they lost with missed free throws and yeah. down the stretch. You know, that was that's tough to to bounce back from. Yeah, I never thought about that. You, t- you what you said about that thing haunting you until you won a championship. Oh in, man, it did heavy, heavy. Yeah, because I'd imagine it's, it's almost better to lose. And I mean, you'd rather go out in the first round and get to the final four, and because everybody that shows up for the final four has to feel like they're gonna win it. Yeah, you make you know. a dream about it. Yeah, I have dreams <laughs> about winning the final four. Yeah. So it was an utter shock to me. A that I played poorly back in Indiana in the Hoosier Dome. Right. And second of all. That we lost. I mean, I was crushed, man. I cried like a baby in the locker room. They had to, they had to pick me up off the floor. Wow. And I'm telling you, and I never, because I played poorly. Yeah. But it's, I, probably, I it's probably worse because you played at UNC and there's like this history of, yes. you know. Yes, man. I, I, I was, you know, I was going to, this was going to be, we hadn't won since Michael Jordan hit the shot. Right. right. So, you know, all this show, all this was, uh, on our shoulders, but we felt really good about our chances. We were going to play Kansas. I knew the, I knew the coach, Roy Williams. He recruited me. Uh, right. my, my sweet mate, my freshman year, uh, uh, was uh, had transferred and went to play for Kansas. Doug Elston, so he mm. was there. I felt like we were playing our, you know, our neighbors. Right. We're going to beat these guys down. Right. And uh, we, and this was when Duke and UNLV was there as well. Duke went on and upset UNLV, and then so to, to, to make matters worse, Lord, Duke, Duke was <laughs> right out of the street. So right. it was just like not only did we let down Tar Heel Nation, it felt like Duke won mm. of all things. So we had to listen to them. So it yeah. was it was hard, man. I I didn't I didn't go on uh, NBA uh, workouts. Mm. I didn't go to the. It was strange, man. Yeah, strange. It rocked me for a minute. Did you think that it was just the an off night? Did you think the jitters got to you? I mean, what did you think it was? It was a dome. Because really? I, I, I could not. And all, all of us had poor shooting nights. Yeah. The first time all three seniors had off nights. Mm-hmm. You know, when you shoot in those domes sometimes, the depth perception is off. Yeah. I'd never played in a, in a, in a dome like that. I was not. I never enjoyed playing outdoors uh-huh. basketball-wise because I can never get a perception mm-hmm. and a sense of the depth. And the dome completely rocked. It just threw me off. I couldn't shoot in the shoot-around. I thought, well, maybe I'm just having an off day today mm-hmm. uh, on, on that Saturday, on that Friday or whatever. Mm-hmm. And the next day, man, and I went. I think I went 5 for 22 or 5 for 23 or something like that. Mm. And uh, and just Coach Smith got thrown out of the game. And the right. tech, oh, with a minute and 40-something together, it just all fell apart, man. Yeah. yeah. 
I'm so glad y'all that you won these championships in the NBA, man, because you might be on Skid Row right now. You we'd be we'd be trying to visit you right now somewhere, trying to get we you joke, right. We joke about it, but man, yeah. look, I, I that was my sole purpose as an NBA player was to win a championship because yeah. I just not I didn't want to be remembered for solely what I you know I was able failed to be a part of in, in college and then right. in my first six years in Boston we we just was we were terrible yeah. so was, you know coming to LA was all about man I it just ain't about making money no more I I I can't I got to lead the game of basketball and champion somehow man right. and awesome. so winning those three rings was you know, healed a, healed a lot of wounds, man. Yeah, that's awesome, man. If that's you hadn't awesome. won those titles, you might have ended up hosting a podcast with a couple of knucklehead <laughs> journalists. But I would have had a smile on my face. <laughs> You'd have had that vest on, baby. <laughs> and look, you not only won some championships in the league this year, but when we get to bragging rights, you, you are on the path. You might me- you might mess around and, uh, you know, hold up another trophy when this what? season is over. What is this you say? <laughs> When you look at the historical context of what you guys are doing, what do you think? It's special. Um, you know, we don't talk about it. Um, we're just living in it. We're living in the moment. But it's special. Um, you know, you, you, I know the history of the game. We got guys that have great basketball IQ and know the history of the game. So to, to be in this class right now uh, with some of the greatest teams that ever play as far as consecutive wins is it, very special. Guys, there's nothing like riding the train when a team is rocking and rolling. And Ira Winderman, train. <laughs> <laughs> Ira Winderman of the Sun Sentinel is the man on the spot for us here today on the Hang Time Podcast, keeping up with the Miami Heat every step of the way. Ira, you, uh, you do you need a, a sweat towel at these games to kind of see if they're going to pull these things out at the end, make you change your story about 700 times before deadline? Yeah, you know, it's a Seiko, it's a 23-game winning streak, but it's not an easy or breezy 23-game <laughs> winning streak. And and I think for a few of those games when we go back, it's I think they were indifferent, whether it was the Orlando game, the Sacramento game. It, it didn't really have a feel of going for something bigger, going for posterity. But I think when they hit 22 and they realized, hey, we're two-thirds of the way, I think it's sort of full steam ahead right now. And you could really see the passion when they played the Celtics on Monday at TD Garden. Well, Ira, hey, Lang Whitaker here. You know, when they when they played the Celtics, obviously people are still talking about LeBron um, almost uh, baptizing Jason Terry or <laughs> whatever happened in that game. It seems like from the, from the quotes I've seen and stuff the last couple of days, maybe maybe there was a little bit of more satisfaction than there would have been because Jason Terry was involved. Oh, ab- absolutely. LeBron said today at the shooter on here in Cleveland that that was absolutely intentional. <laughs> That that was the goal. Is that that he he saw Jason Terry there and he sort of lathered up and figured this is my moment. You know the Jet Jet talks a bunch. He right. talked. Remember going back to the 2011 Finals when the Mavericks, you know, and, and Jason did beat the Heat. And he talked going into that game in Boston that he didn't care if the Heat, you know, lost the rest of their games. And and, and so LeBron said very much. He he sort of turned the Jet into Eastern Airlines. It's, it's now defunct. You know, he put them out of service. Oh my gosh! Well, I got to tell you, Brandon Knight's probably really happy. <laughs> Oh, he's probably the second happiest person in America right now. Exactly. Ira, what about this uh, streak's effect on uh, on this team going into the playoffs? Uh, If they, you know, it's been a long time since someone's beaten them. It was the Pacers, I think. Uh, So we forgot where the where the holes are, I guess, or the or the ways into this team's deficiencies. You know, LeBron James talked about them improving throughout the streak, and that's the best thing about it. But if anyone's going to beat this team at all going forward, forget about the streak. Where are they going to beat this team at? Where are the weaknesses at now? You know, it, it, it's sort of like the saying goes, right now they're just too legit to quit. I mean, <laughs> they, just, they just don't have a reason to stop because we saw it in Boston. Remember, the streak started with LeBron having that great run of 30-point games with 60% shooting, broke the NBA record. Then Dwayne Wade won on a streak of 20-point games at 50% shooting, broke Michael Jordan's best streak. So, so it's been some different every game and lately it's Shane Battier and now Ray Allen coming through and and the Birdman Chris Anderson and that's the thing this team now knows they comfortably have a nine-man playoff rotation when you put Norris Cole and Battier and Allen and, and Chris Anderson in there so it's someone different every day you know it's not like they're going all out we have to win every single game but they have the players good enough that they're going to win yeah all right when you when you get inside the the belly of one of these things. Um, where do you where do you look at and trace 
what keeps this thing going on a nightly basis. Because we all know guys are t- guys are going to have an off night where the shots aren't falling. They just don't have it. Their energy's not there. How do, how do they keep coming up with a different way to win all these games? I mean, in every fashion. Wow. You know, there's two factors here. First of all, you know, and I hate to say it about our product, but there's some really bad teams in the NBA these days. And, and if you look at the Heat's next four, they're playing the four worst teams in the East, and the Cavaliers, the Pistons, the Bobcats, and the Magic, the bottom four in the East, more than 100 games under 500. Let's be honest. It's hard to find a way to lose to those guys. And then you get the other games against Boston, against New York, against Indiana, where the Heat clearly were on a crusade. Having lost to each of those teams previously, they sort of wanted to go out and make a statement. So those games, whether they were part of a streak or not, including the upcoming game against the Bulls, who defeated the Heat earlier this year, they're just sort of they're paying, they're paying back their debts, I guess you would say, on the latter part of the streak. So the big games they've been up for, I think it falls apart when they play a team that just goes crazy on three-pointers, makes 16, 17, 18 in the game. I think they're going to wind up losing by death by three-pointer somewhere along the way here. And, I, you know, a lot of times we hear teams that are on a streak or something like this kind of downplay the importance of the streak mm-hmm. or talk about how they, they don't really, you know, they're just trying to improve as a team or whatever. Are the Heat, do they care about this record? Do they want this record? It, it, it's like I said, when it got, until it got to 22, I don't think they did, and I think they saw it as an annoyance with the media showing up. But I think sort of a little, a little light goes off. When you get two-thirds of the way there, and the yeah. feeling is, wow, we've gone you know, four or five weeks without losing. Why not see this thing to the finish? And, and what they're trying to do is people have asked me, would this make the Heat one of the all-time great teams? And we all know that in the NBA, teams mean multiple championships. But could this give the Heat one of the all-time great seasons? Could it be up there with the Bulls' 72-win season? I think they realize posterity. Any of you guys who've spoken to LeBron James knows he knows the history of this league. He knows the great players. He knows the great seasons. That's what the Heat's trying to do. The Heat wants people to look back years from now and say, wow, 2012-2013 Heat team, that was a great season. That's why they're pushing like they are. Well, Ira, knowing that you you follow the Heat, we also know you follow the Eastern Conference. So this doesn't bode mm-hmm. well for everyone else. Is there anyone out there that's going to put a you know bring any sort of threat? You know, it was interesting. I spoke to a scout, and he said, this is the year that you really wish they went back to best three out of five in the opening round, that maybe (laughs) someone could sort of sneak through three wins. But you're talking about beating this team four times in seven games. I think there are teams that will push them. I'm still curious about the Bulls. What does Derrick Rose come back as? Because the Bulls are close to the heat. If Boozer can play in the playoffs, which he never has, like he's done in the regular season, and you add in Joe Keem and Luel Dang, they can give the Heat the series if Derrick Rose is 80% of what he was previously. But that's probably asking a bit too much, and I think that's why we're looking to next week's game against the Bulls. Does Chicago bring Derrick back to sort of take measure of their own stock to see if they could really, should they push him through the first two rounds of the playoffs to meet the Heat, or is that simply too much? But I think, let's not understate Chicago, and let's not understate the -the over-the-top three-point teams. Yeah, the Knicks can go J.R. Smith crazy like and win a couple of games in the series <laughs> absolutely yeah. all right last thing here before we let you get out of here we know you're busy sure. um do you feel like if this thing stretches i mean the city goes crazy when it gets to 30 i mean when does miami and in in the fans when do they get over the you know over the top crazy about this street because right now it just doesn't seem like that they're quite on board yet. I mean, I guess maybe yeah. maybe they need you to get to cl- closer to the record to get really you know, excited. I'm, I'm going to respectfully disagree, <laughs> only because think about it, guys. I mean, we even know whether it's Turner preempting their games for the tournaments and moving to Tuesday night schedule. Usually this is a time of year absolutely dominated by the NCAA tournament. If we sit here, we're talking basketball. You turn on ESPN, they're talking NBA basketball. I think it's a remarkable thing. This is not basketball time of year. This is the NBA time of year, rather. This is the dog days of the NBA season, and we all sit there and fill out our brackets. And instead, you can't avoid this heat streak. So I I think people are getting into it. I think this is the clearly the most compelling story in the NBA right now, and I think it's one of the most compelling stories in years. I, I, I think the NBA really wants this to continue, which is wonderful, because now we can get into all the referee conspiracy things <laughs> about how David Stern told them they've got to keep the streak going, but I think this is the best thing that's happened to the NBA this year, and I think people are truly into it, and even 
even here in Cleveland, you can't find nearly as many LeBron haters as you did one day because people realize greatness. People appreciate greatness. And, and I think most of the country right now, honestly, is along for the ride except for the single team they're playing that night <laughs> and, of course, except for Jason Terry. Hey, I, Ira, before we, one more thing before we let you okay. go real quick. We sure. talked about this last week, and I, I wanted to hear your take on it. You know, we, we talk about how well LeBron's playing and the team's playing the rotation mm-hmm. and all that. What about – where does Eric Spolstra fit into all this? Because it wasn't that long ago people were ready to run him out of town. And <laughs> if he wins a title last year, if he wins one this year, like does he go from – being almost on the way out to being one of the the great coaches of all time? Yeah, but you know what? When you have a team this great, you're always going to be sort of teetering. Because let's let's face it, if the Miami Heat do not win the final game played in the NBA this season in June, it'll be a bad season. And you darn well bet people will question (laughs) whether Eric Spolcher has the fortitude, whether he pushed him through the streak, whether he overplayed LeBron, whether he didn't develop more of a rotation. So he absolutely knows what he has stepped into. This is not Phil Jackson with three, four, five, six times going out to L.A. no matter what went wrong with Kobe and Shaq. It was, well, he has his way. No, Eric is very much on the clock. And a matter of fact, let's be honest. If the Heat don't win the championship, people will question whether Pat Riley, who, by the way, turns 68 today, might be coming back, whether they should bring in Phil Jackson or someone else. Eric has dealt with the hand sort of that he's been given, but he understands that he's under a mandate and a singular mandate of there must be another trophy beside the previous one for him to feel comfortable. And you know what, guys? Then everyone will say, hey, LeBron can opt out in 2014. they got to win again next year. So he's in, he's in the grinder through and through, but he knows what he stepped into. That's awesome. Ira Winderman of the Sun Sentinel joining us here on the Hang Time Podcast. Ira, rest up, my friend. You, this, this train is not stopping anytime soon, apparently. Yeah, you know, I'm still going for my streak of 33 consecutive bad game stories, and I think <laughs> I can pull through, guys, so we'll see. All right, Thank man. You Thanks, guys. Ira. That is, uh, that is some streak. I mean, just, just to get to 23. Um, right. I mean, it's yeah. is crazy. I mean, it's it crazy. is nuts. So. All, All right, right, guys. Glad Thanks, I can Aaron. help. See you, bud. Take care. Bye bye. It's time for bragging rights as the guys put their rep on the line. Man, this dude is, he is making some headway here laying in the standings. I'm getting a little I'm hot like here. the heat. I'm hot like the heat. <laughs> I'm going for 33 in a row. I'm getting nervous here. The rookie <laughs> on the Hangtime podcast is about to win the chip. He's about to win the bragging rights championship at this rate. When are we, when are we stopping, Bragg? Are we going to do it through the playoffs? Okay, look, eh, look, Lang. No. Look, Lang. If you're Is it just a regular season? Off, if you're already talking about getting off the. <laughs> I'm just wondering how much time, man. He had enough. I want to know how much. I want to know how much time I have to come back. Oh. Yeah. Uh, I've been letting you guys rope it up for the last few months, and. Uh, <laughs> Look, I, look, I, I tell you, I'm, now it's time for me to roast I went notes. home to the Bahamas. I got some conch. I jumped in the ocean. <laughs> I went and saw the voodoo man. On you all. Got some I PEDs. Got the- you 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 <laughs> went and got some uh, PEDs while you're in the Bahamas, man. This ain't right. He had some conch antler spray. <laughs> Ever since I'm eight and one. This is ridiculous. You you've been on fire since the All Star break. I'm serious. This is nutty. Better call the Miami Heat on me. Man. This out. Put this fire out. Greg, go ahead and let's go ahead. Let's go. All right. So before we get started, just to just to update, Rick is currently he currently has a two game lead on the rest of the field. There. Unbelievable. Great. So stop first it. game stop of the week it, and uh what was that? I'm sorry. <laughs> I said stop it, I'm blushing. Yes, I know. <laughs> uh first game of the week, we'll let Lang go first since he's in the basement. <laughs> It will be Oklahoma City at Memphis tonight. Oh, man. All right. Well, Oklahoma City lost at home last night to Denver. Yes, sir. Um, and so I believe they will have a little incentive there. And uh, so I'll take Oklahoma City. Seku up next. <sighs> I'm going with them Grizzlies. I just feel like, you know, the Thunder, I, I'm seeing some, some chinks in the armor there with the Thunder. I'm. I don't know that I see the same team that I thought I did earlier in the year, so I'm definitely I'm gonna go with the with the Grizz. Yeah, I would I would say that exactly what I'm getting from them is a sense of too little, too much one-two combination, not enough supporting cast. They're on the road. Memphis has been playing exceptionally well. I'm going with the Grizzlies, especially at home. Okay. All right, there you go. So two for the Grizzle. And one for OKC. Second game, 
This is going to be a random game, so be ready. Milwaukee at Atlanta. <laughs> what do you mean random? <laughs> I, knew that, I knew that was coming somehow. When you said Milwaukee, like I knew Atlanta was coming after that. Random. Uh, I'll go first. Let me see. I, I think. It's tonight, by the way. I know. I, th- I think the Bucks. It's another tonight game? Two yeah. Games? That's right. Oh, two man. Wednesday games. So, we're going to know. I'll know soon here where I stand. I uh, Milwaukee played at home last night and beat Portland. Right. I, I feel like it's about momentum. And I liked the Hawks' momentum a few days ago, and then Dallas came in here and ran through them. And uh, I don't know if I like their momentum. And I don't know if I like this matchup. With, you know, if Monte and Brandon Jennings are rolling, so I'm gonna go I'm gonna go with the Bucks in the shaka. Wow, that's a big that's a big move right there. I I, I was always convinced I was almost convincing myself of that as well. <laughs> um, but in the in the effort to give you a shot at coming back, <laughs> I'm not gonna just yeah I'm not gonna just trail and match picks. Uh, I would I would say that. The Hawks have bounced back at some point, especially at home. Milwaukee's not been great in back. I'm going to go with the Hawks. I will go with the Hawks as well. Oh, there's a stunner. Lang picking the Hawks. <laughs> ATL, shouty. All right, final game of the week will be next Monday night. Rick's Lakers at Golden State. Let's mm. let Rick pick the California first. love. Uh, Golden State. Nice. Didn't even have to think Dang, about it. Wow. That might be Kobe's comeback game. Might be Mamba time that night. I'm going with Golden the Warriors. State. I'm definitely going with the Warriors. Yes, I'm definitely going with the Warriors. Um, the thing is here, every time I, I pick Golden State, they lose. <laughs> I picked them. pick Golden State then. Yeah. I... I I'll take the Lakers. Well, Lane trying to make a comeback. Gutsy call, gutsy call. Let's Don't call it a comeback. Rick, we didn't even talk about this earlier, but I wanted your opinion on uh, on the Kobe Dante Jones play. Uh, he's Dukey. That's all I have to say. He's what? He's a, he went to Duke. That's all I have to say. <laughs> Christian, Leitner, Christian Leitner won the award for most hated, yeah. hated uh, college player on Grantland for the last thirty years or whatever. <laughs> I was in the Final Four and lost in the Final Four again. Really? <laughs> Can you believe that? They had me in the Final Most Four. Most hated? Really? Hated <laughs> college basketball players. It was Christian Leitner, um, Tyler Hansborough, Eric Montross, and myself. So I think it was a very Duke-heavy wow. run of – it must have been a Duke pool uh, <laughs> set up, and then they gave the Dukey the win. So wow. even most hated – player in college basketball, I'm a little pissed off that I lost to a dude. <laughs> Wait a minute. I don't remember you being such a hated player in college. Yeah, me either. What happened? Uh, I, I, think, I think it was, it, like I said, they had a whole, if you look at it, they had a whole Duke bracket. <laughs> they had an 80s bracket, a 90s bracket, Damn. and a 2000 bracket. And so, you know, look. Wow, you I was must not, have been a I, hater. You must I, have been. You must have been some kind of hater in college. I got to go back and study you, your your college game and see what kind of hateful stuff you were doing. You, were you like cheap shotting people and stuff in college? No, I was just a very arrogant basketball player. <laughs> I was. I'm not even gonna lie. I was. It was the only way I could convince myself that I was worthy of being on the same floor <laughs> with some of these guys because I was. I was a foreigner. I was a kid from the Bahamas. Right. I had a chip on my shoulder. I wasn't getting enough respect being from the you know the islands of the Bahamas. No one respected me. I just needed love, man. That's all. <laughs> I just uh, I just found this bracket here that Rick's talking about. Uh, Rick was in the uh, '80s uh, region. There's four, I know that shocked me too. I was like, damn, I was in the '80s. Well, there's four regions. There's a an '80s, '90s, zeros, and Duke. Regions. Damn, so Duke had their own region. Yeah. Um, always is. So in, the, in the first round, Rick knocked off Reggie Miller. Hmm. Um, Rick, Rick, was a a big seven, win. Rick was a seven seed. Seven Reggie seed. Yeah, Reggie Miller's a two seed. Um, Rick knocked off Reggie Miller, and then he beat Derek Coleman. Hmm. And then and this is a real shocker here. Rick beat Danny Ainge. That's, that's, <laughs> Danny Ainge. That is an upset. <laughs> that's crazy, right? Then I lost yeah. to Leitner. 
Yeah, then you lost to Leitner in the semis. Semis. Yeah, he would have been the number one seed on most people's list. He was. You know. Um, yeah, I didn't. That- and I actually, you know, I was, I was one of those people who always liked the dude you shouldn't like. And Kyle's like, I thought Leitner was fantastic. I was like, I love that he's got a bad attitude and a chip on his shoulder and as arrogant right. as I don't know what, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then they myrtleized my Wolverines in the Final Four. And I was like, you know what? I hate Christian Leitner. <laughs> <laughs> Because, you know, that's the thing I love about the tournament time. Now, March Madness, man, your colors come shining. You don't care about nothing but your team and your bracket. Yeah. You know, and I didn't, I didn't fill out a bracket this year. I'm not I'm not the world's either. greatest bracket man. Um, I used but to I, do the brackets. I'm, I'm to, horrible. I'm I used horrible. to run the brackets for the for our Laker team, man, for, for four years, man. Yeah, I'm horrible. I, I think I still have in storage everyone's brackets. <laughs> wow. I kept them. Wow. I remember that. Brian Shaw won one year. I think Harp won another year. Um, yeah. No, I remember. So I, had, I had those brackets. That's funny, man. That's crazy. But I used to run it, man. That's crazy. Well, look, you made the Final Four at least. That's, that's yeah, love. Final Four. That's love. I mean, it's hate. Ha- I mean, it's going to haunt me for another nine years until I win. <laughs> until you win it. <laughs> oh, I love it. The Hang Time Podcast. Listen, we got to give a big shout to uh, Ira Winderman of the Sun Sentinel for joining us here on the Hangtime Podcast. Let's hope he didn't jinx the Miami Heat in their win streak. And Isaiah Thomas, NBA TV's very own. Isaiah, the great Hall of Famer, Thomas, joining us here on the Hangtime Podcast. Fellas, let's do this again next week. (laughs) Later. Thanks for listening to the Hangtime Podcast. To download more episodes of the show, visit the iTunes Music Store. And be sure to check out the Hangtime blog on NBA.com. And as always, Sekuna Matata. An epic matchup between your two favorite teams. And you're at the game getting the most from what it means to be here with American Express. You breeze through the card member entrance, stop by the lounge. Now it's almost tip-off. And everyone's already on their feet. This is going to be good. See how to elevate your live sports experience at AmericanExpress.com slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply.